0: designs. And when you see a particular logo, you know what that represents. Let's look at this one. What's that stand for? Apple. I mean, everybody kind of knows that, right? How about this one? Fish. And what's it mean? You see them in the back of cars. It means that you're a Christian. Now, God has a design for us. God is a design for those who claim to associate, those who claim that they're called to the cross. The logo, the trademark, we just read about. Let me say it again. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Our logo, our trademark, our design is love. Now, the last four weeks, we've dealt with culture and asked the question, who influences who? And we have to ask that question about love. I mean, here, whatever this concept is, whatever definition you want to apply is so unique that the world will sit up and take account that if we love the way God calls us to love, if we love each other the way that God calls us to love, people will say, oh, wow, I mean, they have to be one of those followers of Jesus. Historically, think about the Amish school shootings in our area. And think about how that made waves around the world because many people could not grasp the forgiveness that was given this tragedy by those directly impacted. They didn't know what to do with that kind of forgiveness that was born out of love. Now, at the very beginning of this text, it's important we look at this. You will note that five times the word glory is used. Look at that verse again. It says, when he had going out? Five times he talks about glory, 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 glory. In fact, the word glory means to put on display. But this context is where it talks about the relationship of the father and the son. And how they reflect, how they put on display each other. And it says that God draws attention to his son. His son draws attention to God. And so what you have is the son glorifying the father, the father glorifying the son. And think about how different that is than our culture. Our culture is, look at me. In fact, how many times did you say this? You walk into a gathering, you walk into a church, you walk into a social, and you say something like, well, you know, nobody noticed me. Or you do something and you didn't feel like you got the recognition you deserved. And so often in those contexts, because it's about us, we get offended. Because we believe that we were not noticed enough. Now hear me on this point. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're always going to be working for the glory of another. Christ. And his body. You're not going to be working for the glory of yourself. Now, I know in our culture we are into celebrity worship. What that means is if Carson Wentz were standing on stage right now with me, some of you would probably think that what he says and what he has to say is more important than what Pastor Greg's going to preach, <laughs> right? No way. <laughs> not an Eagles fan. And Carson Wentz gets that. That's why in all his interviews, he says, listen, I play to an audience of one. It's not about me. It's about him. It's about me bringing glory to God. So when we talk about love, when we talk about loving one another, we have to understand that we are going to reflect the glory of Christ, of God, of someone else and not ourselves. And what Christ does then is he invites us into this relationship of giving glory. Here's what he said. Remember, little children. He said, I'm going to be here a little bit, but I'm going to go on. But he says, little children. And you notice he didn't say little child. Have you noticed that some Christians act like they're the only child? Some Christians think that there's not other brothers and sisters in the family. And they act like they're the only person there, and Christ is only for them. And they live apart from the body, and they say, I don't need worship. I can watch and fellowship on my TV and watch some celebrity preacher. See, if you think you're an only child, you may know a lot about God, but you don't know God. Paul says knowledge puffs up, makes us arrogant. But what love one another says is, you have to be engaged in loving his body. If you're not, it's just all knowledge. You really don't know me. Then he goes on to say this, a new commandment I give to you. That you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Are you getting his point? He keeps repeating himself. By all this, people will know that you are my disciples. By the way, that phrase is only found one other time, and it's found in John 17 with the prayer of unity. Our unity and our love will so define us that the world will look on, it's going to be that different, that unique, that they will sit up and take notice. But let's be honest. In our culture, love has fallen in hard times. Have you noticed it's used for anything and anyone? People will say, I love apple pie, a la mode. Always need ice cream with the pie. Amen, yeah. Some say I love chocolate. And some talk about loving their dog and their cat. And oh, by the way, yes, I, I, have, I love my husband or wife as well. I mean, think about, it's a catch-all word, isn't it? The tragedy is in our culture is that love shows up when we are getting something out of it or we want something from it. Love in our culture shows up when we are getting something out of it or we want something from it. There's a story of a couple and they've been dating for like a year and a half and she broke up with him and it's three months later and he gets this email. This email says, you know, I really miss you and I still love you and I should have never broke up with you and... You know, is there a way we can get back together? And then at the very end it says, P.S., congratulations on winning the lottery. <laughs> but isn't that love in our culture? We confuse it with lust. Lust means I want to fulfill my desire. It's all about me. It's what I get. And so when you're eating an apple and you bite into that apple and you say, oh, I love apples. No, you lust apples. Because that apple is getting no benefit from your eating it. It's all about you. And it's why in our narcissistic culture, we make love very sexual. and We confuse sex with intimacy. It's about making me look good. And so often love in our culture enables destructive behaviors. So we have to come up with a biblical definition of love. And I'm going to put one on the screen soon. But before I do that, I want to say two things. Again, I want you to remind you that Jesus says, however you want to define this love, the world will know that you're followers of Jesus. It will set you apart. It will be your design. It will be a logo, identification mark. Secondly, he says, and whatever definition you want to put to this, it is commandable. Now, I realize that's probably not a word for English people, but I'm going to make it up anyway. It simply means that if God commands us to love one another, and he does in this passage, that's what it means to love one another. It's not an option, but it's a discipling issue. And I think the problem today is that God has plenty of fans and very few disciples. See, fans study about God. And they cheer Jesus, go Jesus, yay Jesus from the stands. Disciples are people who take the field and take the hits. Anyone here uh, have teenagers? Anyone here been a teenager? I still remember my mom saying this. One time she looked at me and says, you know, I feel like uh, this is a motel. You sleep and you eat here. You know, that's it. And, and that's common to teenagers. You get jobs, you got school, you got your social life. Home is where you sleep and say, mom, what's in the fridge? Feed me. I have to think Christians are a lot like teenagers. They show up when they want to show up. They say, feed me, but they don't want to be bothered to be part of the family. He says, new, not in a sense that it does not exist before. But this newness, because it's something God gives to us through Jesus, and it's something that his spirit empowers us to do. It's new in its term of effect. And so we know this love is potent, it's powerful, it's attractive. It's going to get people's attention. It will make some people angry. It will draw some people in. But it's not a request. It's a calling to be a functional part of the church. And so we're called to demonstrate it. We are called to live it out. We are called to bring God glory through living it out. So here's the definition. Love is the decision to compassionately and righteously to seek the well-being of another. I mean, reflect upon that for a moment. And I need to tell you, I took this from Tony Evans. I saw it and I said, that's really a good definition. And we're going to talk about this. But think about this. Love is a decision. In other words, it's commandable to every Christian to compassionately and righteously We're going to talk about what that means to seek the well-being of another. See, the truth is there's a lot of people. Well, just let me say it. Truth is there's a lot of people you don't like. Amen. It may be your boss. It may be people you work with. It may be some of your siblings or cousins. I mean, some of you here this morning may not even like your spouse. Some may not like your pastor. Pastor. Don't want to hear any amens there, okay? (laughs) Got good news for you. Bible doesn't say that you have to like everyone. Now, it's better if you do. But it says this, regardless of the emotional connection, it does say that you must love one another. And that is really hard for us to hear couple came to a pastor. Marriage was in trouble. Husband looked at the pastor and said, you know, I I just don't like her anymore. She gets my nerves. She nags all the time. She doesn't let me alone. And you know, pastor, I've actually grown to despise her. So the pastor says, well, you know, the Bible does say that you're supposed to love your wife. And he says, listen, you don't understand my situation. I can't do that. So the pastor says, well, you know, Bible does say that you're to love your sister in the Lord. And and the husband says, you know, I I can't even do that. Be truthful. I don't even want to sit with her in church. She just disgusts me that much. Finally, the pastor said, well, the Bible does say love your enemies. (laughs) Did you get the point? There's really no excuse for us not to love. Now, again, we got to define what that means. Because so much of our confusion today is that love enables people rather than sets them on a course to find Jesus. See, the confusion today is we think love's an emotion. can be, but it doesn't have to be. It's a decision. But why? Why is this so important? Now, we already know that it's a critical factor to our witness, but there's more to the why. I was sitting in class today and part of the lesson was two points. One is fake it till you make it and trust the process. And it's kind of applicable here because we're to love even though the emotion's not there. And we have to trust the process. See, the why is there's some important dynamics in our relationship with God that if we choose not to love, we will damage those. And we have to trust that God loves us enough and trust him enough that the process is put in place that it's there for our benefit. That he wants nothing but the best for us. I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to look at this why. John was called the disciple who Jesus loved. And that's why in the Gospel of John, and in 1st and 2nd and 3 John, you just have all this love language. And it's a love letter, but a very different kind of love letter than we think or write today. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, here's what he writes. Whoever says he is in the lights and hates his brother, and again, we're talking about actions. We're talking about how we treat each other, is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the lights. And again, don't think emotion Think action, think a decision. And in him there's no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is still in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. You see what he's saying? If there's no love, there is no light. If there's no love, you're living in darkness and you are stumbling. Stumbling. And what John says, we have to be and we have to think about this. Our horizontal relationships impact our vertical relationships. How we treat each other in the body of Christ directly impacts how deep we go with Jesus. If there's no love, there is no light. And what he's telling us is you can go all you can go to all the Bible studies you want. That's just information. If you're not loving properly, you will have no understanding. You may think you have understanding, but you will be in darkness and you will be stumbling. And he goes on further. And he says this. That what you ask for and how God answers is directly related to how well you love horizontally. How many people here want an effective prayer life? Well, look at 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. 1 John, and again, remember the context. Context is about loving one another. That's what 1 John's written about. In fact, at the very beginning, he says, listen, I write these things that you might have joy. And if you lack joy, you read 1 John. If you still lack joy, you keep reading 1 John, you keep reading 1 John until you have understanding, until light comes in you until you learn how to love one another because you're not going to have joy until you do that. 1 John chapter 5. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have towards him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have Ask of him. See, when we're living in darkness, we take this first and say, listen, I want a new car. Praise Jesus. He's going to give the desires of my heart. But if the desires of your heart are in darkness, you're not going to ask for the right things. Do you understand the context of why this loving one another is so critical? You know, as a church, if we're not loving one another, we may have the best preaching, the best teaching, we may have the best music, but it's all going to cause us to stumble because of the lack of understanding because we can't see. Look at 1 John chapter 3 verses 16 through 18. 1 John 3 verses 16 through 18 by this we know love. How? Here's our example. That he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives For the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, not little child, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Love is a decision. Second thing, if you want to know out of that definition, out of this verse here, love is an action. Love is a decision. Something we make categorically in our mind. Secondly, loves an action. And did you note in this passage, it says, just don't talk about it. Just don't hold Bible study. Don't have prayer meetings. He says, do it. And this laying down our life really messes us up, doesn't it? And we think, well, I can only do that once. And we're thinking about the physical realm, and that's true. But think beyond our physical bodies. Sharing with someone something that gives life. That's what he's referring to. That you sacrifice so somebody else may live, so someone else may have life. But many of us, because we live in fear, and of course John later says, perfect love casts out fear, we enable because we are more concerned about being liked than choosing to love. We're more concerned about people's opinions and attitudes about us and we want them to say good things because it makes us feel good. Than about choosing, to making a decision, to going into action about love. And you see the third point here is love always involves truth. Did you pick that up? Love not in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Love's standard is truth. Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The word is talked about as truth. And it's not loving to be belligerent in truth, where you just beat somebody up over it. It's not loving to withhold truth because of the consequences. I know in the addiction community, they're very familiar with what's something called interventions. It's where someone's living a lifestyle of destruction and they don't see it and they're going down. So they gather a bunch of people who love them around and confront them, get in their face about the truth of where they're going. And a lot of times it never ends pretty. I have to think inside the Christian church, we need to do more of interventions because we have addictions that lead us to darkness. Darkness. We have addictions that cause us not to love, and we have a list of excuses about why we don't have to love that particular person. In 1 John chapter four, I'm just kind of reading a lot of of John's love language. He says this in verses seven through 11, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love God does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world, so that we may live through him. In this is love, not that, that we loved God, but he loved us. And you might say, first, while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, Paul writes in Romans, and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Big fancy word saying he just kind of stood in place of us. He took it upon himself. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, it's my guess this morning, and I'm basing that upon my own history, that there really is not many people here who haven't messed up. And they've messed up over and over again. And they mess up and they confess They promise they'll never do it again and they mess up again. Here's the question I want you to consider this morning. How much of God do you want? How much of God do you want? How much do you value your relationship with him? And depending upon how you answer that, you have to understand the relationship between your horizontal relationships, how you decide and take action according to truth to love with your vertical one. If you love well, you love God well. If you love poorly, you'll be in darkness. You have an ineffective prayer life. And to me, the church's main enemy is humanism. It's all about me. Except Jesus and life will be painless. In fact, even with love, we want to fix people the way we want them to be fixed. Or we want people to like us. Those are the two abstract things that we do with love that we shouldn't do. Remember a few decades ago, for those that are uh, a few decades old, it was very popular to do random acts of kindness. Remember that? And you know, it was about being nice. Nice. And we kind of pat ourselves on the back because look at us, we did a random act of kindness. We're just such nice people and people should just love us and like us. I'm really curious. If I asked some people to come in to GBC for six months and do an assessment and tell us everything they see, everything they hear, tell us everything that goes on in our classrooms, out in the parking lot. And these people did not know us what would they find us guilty of? Being nice or being loving? This is a call to action. It's called to be intentional about acts of love. And personally, I believe everyone needs a small group. They can sit down and say, you know what? I'm really struggling with, and they can name the person. And they can even say, you know, I just don't even like them. But I need help on how I should be loving with this person right now. Because personally, I don't want anything to do with them. Now, I know when you talk about groups, you start saying things like, well, and I love it when people say, oh, I can't find a group like that because I just can't find anyone to trust. And let me ask you this question. Can you be trusted? I realize a group like this, you have to trust. There has to be transparency. There has to be truth. I think that's what a discipleship group's about. Second thing I want you to realize this morning is that love is not a way to fix people. You do not choose to love so that they will respond the way you think they should respond because nine chances out of 10, they won't. This is a call to action To do loving things regardless of how this person responds. You don't love to fix people. You love them so they can see the glory of Christ. And let me encourage you then during this Lent season to go back and I've asked you this before. To pray the prayer of unity. We believe in answered prayer. Amen. Amen. You pray this prayer. God will mess with your head and heart. You know what we call that? We call it transformation. I always love it in church when people say, well, I don't like change. In the same breath, we talk about the transformation of Jesus. Do you understand and do we understand that when you encounter Jesus, something is going to change? You choose to love? Paul says, listen, keep working out your salvation. And keep working, and keep working, and keep working. It doesn't mean that you're the author of that salvation. just means that you're growing, and you're changing, you're transforming. But pray that prayer of unity. And let God's Spirit transform your mind and heart. And find out what it means to love. So, first part of the series, we need to love well. Why? Because everything is dependent upon it. When I say everything, it's our witness. If we really are concerned about the loss for Jesus, then we're going to love each other well. Amen? I'm going to call the worship team up. We're going to spend some time singing as we reflect upon this. And as we sing, I'm going to go back and get ready because we are going to have two people that are celebrating their life in Christ and what he's going to do. Let me pray for you before we do this. Father God. We are blessed to be here this morning. We are blessed to have your word, to have the freedom that we have to worship you. We pray that we would honor you. We'd bring you glory in our worship this morning. And I pray for all of us, Lord, because we have people in our life that we really don't like. And it's hard for us to love them. It's hard for us emotionally to deal with feelings of even despising and hatred. And then you asking us to do loving things towards those people. It's just not in our nature. So I pray for all of us, Lord, that you fill us with your spirit and you do the impossible. You're good at that. And I pray that our witness at GBC would be so grand in how we love each other that it would just draw people here and they would find you. Because we're about displaying your glory not our own. It's not about us. And we worship here this morning to an audience of one. Thank you, Lord, for this. Thank you for your example to us. And we pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen.